Hello and welcome back to the Gritty Men podcast. I'm John Riggs, your host, and as always, we're here to equip, encourage, and inspire you, God's men, to live God's way for God's glory. Guys, thank you so much for taking some time uh, and spending it with us today. Uh, I hope that this podcast is a blessing in your life. It's good to hear from some of you as you've been sending in messages and asking questions. And um, yes, uh, the Base Camp to Summit study is completed. It's published and printed, and it's available for you guys to order if you'd like to on greedycompany.com. And this is a six-week interactive Bible study. It is God's plan for every Christian man, and it comes with a gritty man challenge. So if you have any interest in this or a group of men in your church, we've already done this in our church and a pilot church in Alabama. And it's really geared for uh, men's groups, um, uh, young men group, as in like even college age or even high school teams, whatever it could be. It's, it's geared for men. And, and we've had men of all ages go through this. Uh, not only this, but also the Gritty Men Challenge, as you're going to see uh, as you take part in this. So you can go to grittycompany.com. You can order your copy or you can order several for your church and start this in your men's group. Um, and if you're interested, just go to grittycompany.com and you can order those there. Hey guys, once again, it's great to be back with you. I've been on the road traveling here some the last several weeks, and so it is good to be back here in the podcast booth with you. And today we're going to spend some time discussing a topic that impacts every single one of us as men. Now, I realize uh, that you may be um, a younger man listening to this. Maybe you're even single and you've not yet married. Or you could possibly be um, a middle-aged man that has experienced divorce and so you're not married currently. Or you could be an elderly man uh, who has been, uh, who has lost their spouse and you're not married. But every single one of us, whether we're married or not married, have been greatly influenced and impacted by marriage. And that can be the marriage of our parents or the marriage that we have with our spouse or had with our spouse. And so this is God's design. This is God's plan. And we're going to learn what the Bible teaches about covenant marriage. And it's, it's no surprise, guys, uh, today that marriage has fallen on hard times. In fact, 40 to 50 percent of all marriages uh, end in divorce. And the stats aren't much better for those in the church. And so we've obviously got some work that we need to do. And a lot of it has to do with really just teaching men and women what the Bible teaches about covenant marriage. In fact, this is God's, uh, this is his idea. Marriage was God's idea. It's not something that man came up because God created Adam first. And then from Adam, he created Eve. But listen to what God says here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And that rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is an incredible section of Scripture um, just here at the very, very beginning of creation. Notice that uh, God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone and that there was no suitable helper fit for man. So God took Adam, put him asleep, and did surgery on Adam. Now, the word rib does not necessarily have to be a rib. It can be part of or side. And so God cut open Adam, took something from Adam, and he created for Adam a help meet that was fit 
to complete Adam and to help Adam. And so Adam could say, hey, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. Now, I will say, too, that now when the two come back together, we have the joining of a one flesh again. Where Adam was no longer one flesh, there's now Eve. They come together, and now life can once again happen as a man and woman come together in the union of marriage. So there's some incredible truths here that we're going to learn together on this podcast about God's design for marriage. And he does have a design for marriage. But the Apostle Paul now, he calls marriage a profound mystery, a profound mystery. Before we get into this profound mystery, though, I do want to share with you that what I'm teaching is what the Bible says in relation to marriage, that it is a covenant, and it is a blood covenant, and it is a covenant that God created and God establishes in the coming together of a man and woman. It's a covenant relationship between a husband, his wife, and the God that created them. God is the originator of this covenant of marriage, and he alone, he has set the guidelines and the parameters of the marriage covenant. Um, In Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, I just want to demonstrate to you that marriage is a covenant and that scripture teaches that it is. Malachi 2, 13 through 15, we read, You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor upon your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? Why it is because the Lord is witness between you and your wife of your youth. Now listen, you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. See, marriage is a covenant, but the understanding that we learn about marriage in Scripture is a profound mystery. And then God's going to reveal to us, through the Apostle Paul, this profound mystery of marriage. The reality is that there are three primary reasons, guys, that God has created or, or, if you will, ordained marriage to be. Number one is procreation, okay? We all know what procreation is, and that through procreation, God would rule through those he created in his image, and his name would be proclaimed throughout the earth. In other words, our children would bear and proclaim his mighty name. We and our families would be worshipers of the one true God. And through procreation, we would grow and expand as we now what? Multiply and fill the earth. We would create those who, like us, would worship and magnify the name of God and that we under God would rule and reign on the earth. That's what we would do, that we would do what we were created to do. And so number one is procreation. We all get this. We all understand this. The second one is man's potential realization. That is marriage and family as a relationship, God's command we were to be fruitful, multiply, and to fill the earth. We were to subdue it and have dominion over the earth. And this would require that Adam and his help meet, his wife Eve, were together to accomplish this great task. The husband needs his wife and the wife needs her husband in order to maximize the potential of one another in their relationship to one another, their children, and in their life. We are needed together. And this is very, very important. That's why God said there was no suitable helper for Adam. So he takes from Adam, creates for himself the woman who would now be his wife, and she would be his help meet. And she would help together the two of them to complete and to maximize the potential of mankind. And it's significant and it's very, very important. The third reason that God ordained marriage is for God's, now listen, this is so important, God's redemptive illustration. 
Now, I did not fully grasp or understand this. I wish I would have known more about this as a young man um, when I married my wife and had a better grasp and understanding of the significance of marriage. Um, I knew there was great significance in marriage. I knew that I was entering into a covenant, but I did not fully understand the, the incredible nature of what my marriage was to illustrate before the world. I didn't understand that. I'm not till further study and learning as, I, as I've studied through the scriptures have I learned this incredible mystery, this profound nature of what marriage is. And that is, it is a picture to the rest of the world, God's redemptive plan. And, and, and this is what it is, that we have been, as Christian men and women, we have been united with Christ. We are in union with Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are one in Christ. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. And we are in Christ by nature of the new covenant, the covenant of blood. Jesus Christ established this covenant with us. In a covenant now, it is a binding declaration. It is a binding declaration. In other words, this covenant that Jesus Christ made, this new covenant that we have entered into with Christ, is a binding covenant, and that's why we know that Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He established this covenant by the shedding of His blood. And he's entered into this covenant, and we have been joined to him in union, and we are one flesh with Christ Jesus. That's why in Scripture, the Apostle Paul, over and over and over again, talks about us being in Christ, or with Christ, or through Christ. So we, we are in union with Christ Jesus. We are one with him. We are called his body. Okay, now when we get to the understanding of this profound mystery that surrounds marriage, we're going to learn that part of this incredible nature and gift of marriage is a profound mystery of God's redemptive plan, and it's illustrated to a world that is lost simply through the way in which we as husbands and wives interact and submit and love and lead in this incredible covenant called marriage. We get this understanding of procreation. We're all about the procreation aspect. Um, but it's deeper than just procreation. Um, we are to be training our children to know and to proclaim and love and serve our King and our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, our potential as men, we know that our wives add so much to our lives. In fact, I would even go so far as to say the the greatest tool of sanctification for us as men, and I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, um, is that God uses the, the relationship of husband and wife in each other's lives to help bring about more of our sanctification. Um, I know God has used my wife for that in my own life, and she's also helped me tap into more of my potential in other words, she brings to the table in our relationship things that I'm not strong in or things that I lack in. And God has so designed this that the husband and the wife are both needed in order for life to even take place and a family to even exist. And then the operating within the structure of a family, there is ordained and God-given purposes for both the man and for both the woman. And so what we find is, is that the man lacks certain elements that the woman has just by nature of her creation. Um, a woman, for example, is far more nurturing just by nature. She's nurturing and God designed her and created her to be that way. We as men, though, we, we think differently, we react differently and that is for a reason. We are the primary protector, we're the primary provider, and we are the leader of our wife and our family. And so we aren't driven as much by emotion. Um, although we have emotion, we are, we are not driven by that emotion. So, for example, when your kids come to you, and you can see the, the great difference here, when a child 
um, needs some sort of nurturing, if you will. They, they go to their mother and the mother dotes over them and the mother meets those needs and so on and so forth. But when your child comes to you and it's, uh, he's crying and he's got a cut on his knee or he's scrape on his leg or whatever it is, you know, the mother will put band-aids on it and she'll kiss it and she'll, she'll make sure that the child is, is secure there. The dad more than likely just says, Hey man, you're, you're all right. Okay. Toughen up, suck it up. It's going to be okay. Got a little scratch there. You're going to be just fine. We, we are different in the way that we, that we um, operate within the family structure, but we are the primary disciplinarians as well. But my wife is also needed because she's able to also, through her, her softer way, help me sometimes see things a little bit differently as the, the one who disciplines. But both are needed. Um, and the relationship of, his, of a man with his children is extremely important. Um, for example, the relationship of fathers and daughters is extremely important. And I've talked to you guys a little bit about that. If you have daughters, you are going to be the primary um, individual in her life uh, to, um, to let her know how valuable she is and to let her know uh, that you cherish her and she is she is beautiful and she's all those things. You, you'll validate your daughter in a healthy, godly way. And in validating your daughter, she will not need the validation of other men because she wants to be validated. We as fathers, in a godly, loving father way, we validate our daughters and we protect her from seeking the validation of boys. And this will be a reality. You look at young ladies um, who are very promiscuous and seeking out the affirmation of, of other males, oftentimes it's due to the lack of validation she received from her father in a godly, biblical, loving way. And so usually young ladies that are, are seeking that or promiscuous early in life, they were not validated by their father, so they're seeking that. And likewise, we as men also validate our sons, and our sons desperately need to be validated by us as fathers. And part of that we see in Scripture, even God the Father validates Christ the Son. And we see that in the baptism of Jesus Christ. As Christ comes up out of the water and John the Baptist baptizes Christ, as he comes up out of the water, you, you notice that there is a voice from heaven. And what does God the Father say in validation of Christ, his Son? By the way, Christ is the eternal Son, and he is God as well. One God, three persons. But he says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. There is validation there. And so we as fathers have a very important role in validating not only our daughters in a godly, biblical, um, loving way, but also validating our sons. Our sons need to hear from you that you are well-pleased. And part of that is going to be a result of your training your young sons to be men. And you will validate them throughout their young life. And that is going to start at a very young age. And you are going to give them challenges to overcome, and you're going to teach them basic important things. You're going to teach them the, the nature of, 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 uh, of what it means to, to be a man who seeks God and, and fears the Lord in reverent fear, and, and you're going to teach them um, to, to honor the Lord, to walk in obedience. You're going to teach them how to do specific things that all men need to know how to do. And so you're going to give them challenging things throughout life. But through that process, you're going to teach them and you're going to instruct them. And as they grow and mature, you're going to validate them as young men as they grow into manhood in order that they're able to now take the baton of manhood and now be joined with another young lady and lead this young family, this young relationship, this covenant family. They're going to come out from underneath your authority, and now they're going to be the head of their wife and their family. And the way that they know how to operate correctly as the head of their wives 
is going to be based on what they saw in relation to your headship as a father as you led your family, as you walked and led your wife and your children. And so all along, your daughters are watching and learning and your sons are watching and learning as well. And you are demonstrating for your children imperfectly, but by God's grace and through work and study and, 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 and effort, you're going to be giving them a picture of what it means to fulfill this aspect of God's design and God's plan for marriage. So let's spend um, a little bit of time here as we look at this. Now, it is true that those who do not know Christ still have somewhat of a knowledge that there is a spiritual element to marriage. Now, they don't understand it. They understand there's something holy about it, or they wouldn't be getting married in churches. Um, they, they get there's an element of that, but they have no understanding of what this marriage is or what God's purpose and design for marriage is to be. And so Paul here in Ephesians chapter 5, there's basically um, verses um, 22 through 33 is really the section of Scripture that for the next few weeks we are going to learn together as men. That Paul begins and he writes here, he says that this is a profound mystery in verse 32 he calls marriage a profound mystery. Now, I know that there are books out there like Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, and the reality is we are very, very different. But there is a design in that purpose of us being different. We don't need to, um, to, uh, to, dis to hold that as a disdain, that your wife is different than you. She has to be different in you in order for the husband-wife and the mom and dad relationship to be successful in raising a family. She has to, by nature and design, be different than you. So this whole concept within our culture that men and women are just alike is a bunch of baloney. We are not alike in any way, shape, form, and fashion. We are extremely different, not only in the way we process information, in the way that we think, in the way that we, 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 we react, in, in, in our body composition, in the strength that we have, um, or in the femininity of our wives and the, the, the masculinity of us. We're so different, but we're that way by design. And what our society is trying to do is to convolute all this, and they're trying to blur all this and say that men and women are alike. And you have women out there trying to look like men. You know, they shave their heads short, they wear men's clothing, they'll wear a ball cap. I mean, they're going to try to look like a man, but no matter what they do in trying to have appearance as a man, they're still a woman in every way possible. There's still a woman. You cannot be what you are not, okay? And so let's make it very, very clear that there are only two, two um, genders. That's all there is, always has been. God made them in Genesis male, and he made them female, and we are not the same. Now, we are human, and we are created in the likeness in the image of God, but men and women, yes, we are part of the human race, but we are not the same. Uh, we are different, and we're different by design. So no matter how unhinged our culture becomes, there are only two genders, male and female. And if you're born a woman, you're always a woman. And if you're born a man, you're always a man. No matter how many surgeries you have, no matter how many hormones you take, it doesn't matter. You're still a woman if you're born a woman, and you're still a man if you're born a man. And you'll be that all the days of your life, and it doesn't matter how affirming a culture is to tell you you're something you're not that is absolute insanity the reality is you are either a woman or you're a man and you're that way by birth and design and instead of um, hating being what you are we need to embrace what we are and realize how beautiful it is that God designed us to be who we are and what we are and it's very important that we can understand this and so in this concept of marriage, Paul uses the word profound mystery. Now, this is um, the word that can be described as great, 
I mean, this is a great mystery. Um, it is weighty. It is esteemed highly for its importance. See, marriage really today is, is a lot like this, this cup right here for most people. You know, it's kind of like a styrofoam cup. It, it, it has no value to many people. It's not esteemed highly. Um, it's, it's just kind of like, it, let's stay married until it no longer meets my needs or I'm no longer happy in this relationship. Let me just make this very clear to you. If you're married for any length of time, I guarantee you, you will find times that you're unhappy in marriage and you will have times where your needs are not met, but that is not the purpose of marriage. Remember, the purpose of marriage has three purposes. We've already discussed them. It is procreation, man's potential realization, and God's redemptive illustration. We have three reasons. You say, well, John, I thought marriage was all about me being happy. No, sorry. Marriage is not all about you being happy. But you're going to learn as we study together that marriage is much more profound than your happiness. You can have happiness in marriage. Thank God for that. In fact, whether or not you believe me or not, you can have a wonderful, incredible marriage relationship. And only those who fulfill their covenant promise in marriage fully can understand, experience, and grasp what this beautiful relationship in marriage will provide you in life. Unfortunately, at least half of marriages cease to be able to experience this. And marriage is not hard to do in relation to how we are to do marriage. We are selfish, though, and, and selfish beings want to have their needs met above anything else. And so marriages can be fixed very, very easily. It's just the hard thing is application of the truth in how we fix marriage. So Paul here begins to write this, that this is a profound mystery. In other words, there is a very high level of importance to our marriage. And we need to know this because we're, we're giving this entire world we live in through our marriage, a redemptive illustration of Christ and our redemption and salvation. And we are doing that through marriage in the way that a husband and a wife, they operate together in this marriage relationship. Paul says this. Now, if we're truly ever going to understand the mystery of that surrounds marriage, will have to understand the spiritual reality of God's design for marriage. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as Christ sub submits, as the, excuse me, as the church submits to Christ, Paul continues, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let me just stop there. This is probably one of the most abused passages of all of Scripture that men oftentimes like to hold over their wives. In fact, when I have taught on this or preached on this, I've had wives come to me and say, I think my husband quit listening after verse 24. In other words, he heard verse 22, he heard verse 23, and he heard verse 24, but when we got to verse 25, it's as if my husband shut off the, the listening faucet to his ears and he didn't hear anything else because what my husband has been telling me is, woman, you need to submit to me and that you are required by God to submit to me. Okay, the reality is, guys, you have to be submitting first to Christ. See, you are to submit to Christ, and your wife is submitting to Christ as well. And by submitting to you, she's doing it as if unto the Lord. And there's a reason for that because it has to do with headship. It has to do with headship. So we have this order that God has designed now, if all men are stuck on, if you're having to tell your wife to submit to you, 
I can guarantee you it's because you're a very poor example of submission to your head, which is Christ. See, wives are responders. They're created to respond to you as men. That's their nature. They respond. We lead, they respond. And so if your wife is not demonstrating submission to you, and it's not easy for her, by the way, it's a difficult thing for her to submit to you because you're not always worthy of this. In fact, if we're truly honest, sometimes, guys, we're just jerks. And for our wives to submit to us, she's going to have to do it as unto the Lord because if she's doing it to you, you're not always worthy of it. But we as men are to be submitting to our head, who is Christ. So when we walk in humble submission to Jesus Christ, your wife sees that and you are demonstrating that as a leader through your example, your wife then is able to submit to you more easily because she understands that she has a head and a husband and a leader who is submitting ultimately to her ultimate head, Jesus Christ. And this whole entire picture of marriage is so much deeper than what we see. There is something profound going on here in the, in the responsibility of the wife to her husband and the responsibility of the husband to the wife. There's a beautiful picture of, of God's redemptive plan here being illustrated physically to this world. Now listen to this. Jesus did this um, all the time in the Gospels. There was a physical always pointing to a spiritual truth, a physical reality he would use as an example, and he would demonstrate it as a spiritual truth. God did this through the parables. He did it all the time. In fact, let me give you an example of it. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 Jesus says, For I received... From the Lord, excuse me, Paul says this, what I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, this would be the Passover, he took a physical object, bread. And he broke this bread, which is a physical object, but he was teaching a spiritual truth. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus Christ is not a loaf of bread, but he uses the bread as an illustration of a spiritual truth that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And his body is going to be broken in the manner that we break the bread and we take in the bread. This is a reminder that Jesus Christ's body was broken because of my sin. And it was broken for me in order that I could be redeemed. And then in the same way, in verse 25 of chapter 11, it says, He also took the cup. Now, this would be the fourth cup during this ceremony that Jesus grabs. After supper, he grabs this cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, Jesus Christ is not the cup, okay? But he's explaining something here, that this wine that is in this cup is to be a demonstration of his blood, that he is now going to enter in through his blood a covenant with all who will believe in him by faith. But his blood will be used to establish a covenant between God and man. And this covenant is a binding declaration. And so Jesus Christ says, as often as you drink it, remember me. In other words, this is a remembering when we take communion that the wine or the juice is symbolic of the blood of Christ who established a covenant of blood with us. And when we take it in, we remember the blood of Christ was shed for our sins, for there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And we see this through the 
Old Testament with the lambs that were slain and all the sacrifices that were, were made. It was for atoning for sin. And so Jesus Christ, he's using a physical to demonstrate a spiritual reality. And he's doing the same thing with our marriages. So our physical roles in marriage point to the spiritual truth of the roles of Christ and his bride, the church, which is his body. Listen to this, guys. This is profound. So here, here's the deal. In our marriages, you are going to take the role of Christ in relation to Christ's role in his church, the body, his bride. See, we men have a bride that is our wife. And the Bible says that we are going to be joined to our wife. And now we are going to, in like manner, become one flesh. There's no longer two, but now we are one flesh. This is a truth that is profound. Here's a reality for any of you men that have experienced the tragedy of divorce. And I know I'm speaking to many of you that who have unfortunately experienced this painful um, tragedy that divorce brings in our lives. If you take your life before marriage and now you take your life after divorce, you understand that there is something spiritual that happens in the union of a man and a woman. Now, our society says that sex in and of itself is nothing more than an animal act. In fact, you can just, like changing a pair of socks, have as many partners as you want, and there is no effect whatsoever. It's just an animal act. But the reality is that's not true. There is something much deeper that is happening when we are joined with another woman as a man. There's something that happens. It's not just an animal act because God didn't design it to be that way. In fact, in, in many years of counseling that I have done in, in pre-marriage counseling, for example, you'll find a young lady and a young man prior to marriage that have already had sexual relationships. And unfortunately, guys, this is not God's design. In fact, the Bible is very clear about premarital sex. Very, very, very clear. Um, and living in a relationship with a woman in sexual relations with her. Um, fornication is a grave sin because you're sinning against your body. There's something more here, guys. It's much deeper than you think. It's not just, um, yes, I know our society is based on lust, and that's what people are doing. They're hooking up for lust, lustful desires. It's what they want. It's what they desire. But nonetheless, there's more going on here than meets the eye. There's no such thing as free sex or free love. That does not exist. Something is chipping away at the very soul of a being who does this over and over and over and over again. For example, oftentimes in those sessions, you'll find a young lady will break down because she knows that something far deeper has happened in this, in this union, whether it was with this man or with many partners prior to this, there's something much deeper. And there's a brokenness in her because of the result of sin. And so this coming together of one flesh is real. So if you've ever been in marriage, and you have been, if you're here and listening and divorced, then what you find is, is when the two of you divorce, you're never the same individual ever again. Why is that? Because it, it's similar to this. When the Bible says that when a man and woman join together, and we're speaking not just of a ceremony, but a sexual union, that is the coming together. In fact, God has so made the man and so made the woman that when the two of them are mirrored and they come together, it's the only way life can happen. It's the only way it can happen. Now, I know through science today and all that we have that there's ways that people can get pregnant without a man and a woman coming together. I realize that, but that's got nothing to do with God's design in this relationship. That's just a result of technology and science, but it does not take away from the true reality of how God has designed for it to be because it still takes the seed of a man and it still takes the egg of a woman in order for there to be life. 
and without it, it can't happen, period. You might go to a doctor and you might have yourself inseminated as a woman with some other men's sperm, but it took the sperm of men and the egg of a woman in order for life to happen. That's the only way that it can take place. And so this union is very significant here. That's why you become one body. And when you tear that apart in divorce, your fragments of yourself and the fragments of your wife, they stick together and you can pull that stick apart now, but it will also, it will splinter. It will never be the same again, ever, 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 ever. You can never be joined and pulled apart and be the same because there's something much deeper that happens. And I don't, I'm not going to spend time getting into all that, but, but nonetheless, that's for another conversation. And so when we think about this, there's an order to marriage and an order in God's design. God is a God of order. And I want to make this very, very clear. So the wife, she takes this incredible role of the bride, okay? Now, the bride is to be joined with the man. And what we find fascinating here is that in the body of Christ, um, we have the bride of Christ. We are his bride, but we are joined to Christ by faith. We are, we are joined in covenant with him, and now we are in Christ. Here's the fascinating thing about this, guys. Do you know the reason that you are justified as righteous before God? Do you know the, the reason for that? It's because of our union of being joined with Christ. How many of you out there would say, yeah, I'm a righteous guy. I live perfectly righteous by God's holy standard. How many of you out there say that that describes you? If you do, you're a liar and you are deceived because the Bible says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. It's like filthy rags, man, and that's like a woman's menstrual cloth. That's what that, that's what that word means. It's like filthy rags, man. So how are we deemed righteous? It's because when God now sees you, he sees you in union with Christ and you are one flesh with Christ. That's why the Bible says, and we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. All these things that we read about in Scripture, we've been glorified, we, we've been redeemed, we've been, we've been justified. All of these incredible truths that we are in a standing position of being adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. The reason that you stand before God as righteous is because when God looks at you, He sees His Son because you are now in union with one flesh with Jesus. And that's why wherever Jesus is, that's where we will be because we are in union with Christ. So when a man and woman join together in marriage, there is a union. That's why the Bible says that when there is divorce and a divorce happens for an unbiblical reason where now a woman remarries, God says that there is what? There's adultery. Why is that? Because God sees you in union with the man you married. That's why there's adultery. It's not just a matter of issuing a divorce thing here. No, it, it, that's not how God views that. Aren't you glad that you are in Christ and that you will forever be in Christ? And that real love is love that endures all things, according to what Paul says? And what we're looking at here is this beautiful picture of redemption and our being in union with Christ. That's why our marriages are a covenant. And I'm not going to go into this in detail because my wife gets on to me when I, when I do this and she says, you, got, you can't do that. You don't need to be telling everybody those things because not everybody can handle them. But even in the union of a husband and a wife coming together in, 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 in marriage, there is the shedding of blood, guys. There is. Why, does, why did God design it that way? Why is it when a man and a woman, two virgins, come together and they join together in union, why does the woman bleed? Why is there the shedding of blood? Because it's a reminder that there is a covenant that is being entered into. And there's a deeper, profound mystery here that we're learning 
that it's a picture of the blood covenant of Christ, that we are in union with him and you are in union with your wife. And just as we are in covenant with Christ by his blood, there is an entering of covenant and the shedding of blood when we enter into union with our wives. It's so much deeper and profound. That's the only reason God made those things to happen physiologically is to demonstrate this profound mystery. It's a covenant. And so the wife, she's going to take the role of the bride of Christ now. That's what she's going to do because of the order that God has designed for this to be and because of what God is trying to use marriage to illustrate for a world that is lost. Your marriage, in a sense, is sharing the plan of redemption and the plan of salvation with a world that is lost. You're demonstrating what it means to be in Christ and the fact that you are in covenant with Him and that you are, you are His and you're one flesh with Him. And the reason you walk in obedience to Christ is, is because of this. Because he's your God, he's your king, he's your Lord. That's why you do this. So listen to this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The word here, submit, um, it's a verb, and it means to place or rank under, to be in subjection, uh, to obey, and to place under, um, to put myself into subjection. So what is going on here? God tells the wife that in this incredible gift of marriage, she has a role that she is to, to play, that she is to walk in. And her role is very significant and it is very important because her role is a demonstration of a very important spiritual truth. Very, very important. And this has nothing to do with whether or not our wives feel like it, okay? It has to do with God's design. And, 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 and when a wife lovingly submits to her husband, she is reflecting the spiritual reality of what it looks like for the body of Christ to walk in subjection under the lordship of Jesus Christ. She's, she's playing the role of the bride of Christ, and she's doing that when she demonstrates it as she lives that out in her marriage relationship under the headship of her husband. But notice, she's doing it to the head of the man. Do it as if unto the Lord. Ultimately, when the wife walks in subjection and lives in subjection under the husband, which is her head, she's ultimately honoring her ultimate head who is Jesus Christ himself, and God, who is head of Christ. She's honoring the Lord God Almighty. She's ultimately doing it for him because it says, do it as if unto the Lord. So by walking in obedience under her husband, remember, there's an order that God has designed. And any time that order gets out of line, there is problems every single time. It's like driving your car that is extremely out of alignment. You let go of the wheel and the thing veers off to the left or to the right. And so it wears your tires wrong and they get choppy and then you, you have to get, it, it, it creates problems. Same thing within this, God's order, God's design. Now, it's very, very important that we get this. So it, it means to be under God's arrangement. Submitting to the Lord means to be under His plan. This is part of God's plan. And a woman is, not, is, is never being more Christ-like than when she lovingly submits to her husband and she does it as if she's actually doing it to the Father and to the Son because they are the head over the rest. This has nothing to do with feeling. Because I can guarantee you, our wives, guys, they don't always feel like doing this. It is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. That's what it is. And this is God's design. And when a wife submits to her husband, ultimately, it is reflective of our wives submitting to God. Because this is God's command. This is not a, a command that we hold over our wives. And if you're a man that constantly tells your wife that she needs to submit to you, there's a major problem here. 
And I'm going to say that most times it's a result of your lack as a man in leadership in demonstrating true submission to your head, which is Jesus Christ. Because if you're not submitting to Christ and walking in obedience to his word, it's going to be pretty difficult for your wife. Why is that? Because you're out of alignment. And when you're out of alignment, it puts everything under you out of alignment. Everything is affected below you. Everything. And so it's very, very difficult for our wives. It's not easy. That's why we're told not to hold this over our wives, that we're to live with them in an understanding way. You don't just walk around saying, hey, woman, obey, submit. You know, that Archie Bunker mentality that she's there to serve you and you're her master. If that's your mentality, you haven't even started climbing the first rung of what it means to be a godly man. Because you haven't even understood what it means to serve, follow, and submit to Christ. You have no idea. Because you know what? It's not always easy for us to submit to Christ and his word. In fact, my body wants to do the opposite of what God's word says. My mind, my, my body, my flesh, it wants to do the opposite. Read Genesis chapter 3. Did you know that the desire of the woman is to be over the man? It's not easy. That's the natural progression from sin. And, and it's, it's not easy for our wives to do this. It's not easy for your flesh to want to submit to Christ. You have to make it be in submission to your will. So our wives, when they submit to you, man, lovingly, even when you don't deserve it, let me tell you something. She is never more like Christ when she does that. And she's not doing it for you. She's doing it in submission to Christ. And she's being Christ-like. And she's teaching you at that point. So if you're, if you're the guy that's the Archie Bunker, you need to grow up. You need to grow up and become a true man of God. Your wife is not your slave. She is not subordinate to you. She is not any less in the eyes of God in equality to you. That is entirely false, and that's a lie. In fact, before God, she is entirely equal. <laughs> You're not greater than she, man. You're equal before God. You don't believe me? Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Remember, your wife is a child of God. If she's in Christ, she is God's. You better think about this. She belongs to God. You are in stewardship. And you have a responsibility, guys, that is so difficult. I'm going to get to what our responsibility is as men. And let me tell you something. You don't need to worry about your wife submitting. you got way too much to be concentrating on. You, you have a, a heavy, heavy load that you have to bear here. And you have something you have to do that's going to require everything for you to do it and do it to the honor and glory of God. But Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 through 20, 29, he says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. So men, your Christian wives are part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she is equal to you in every way, form, and fashion. Every way, form, and fashion before God. Do not forget this. But her role is different in the relationship of marriage and family. And what your wife is doing is she is honoring God by taking this role in illustrating this incredible, beautiful picture of redemption and what it means to be the bride of Christ. She is, she is, she's illustrating this to a world. 
Help her in this. Encourage her. Be a godly man. Be a great leader. Be a man who loves like Christ because it will make your wife's job of obeying the Lord Jesus Christ much easier if you are a Christ-like man and a godly man. You'll make it much easier for her to do this. Now, as far as equality goes, we are all equal. But even though we're all equal in the body of Christ, we'll learn here, Christ is the head of the body. And as we've seen in Scripture, we know that what? God is the head of Christ, although Christ and God are, are equal. They're both God. In essence, they are totally, completely equal. But in function within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they function differently, but in essence, they are totally, completely God in every, every aspect. Equal, powerful, they're God. But they operate in the Godhead in function differently. And the Son came to do the will of the Father. And so what we find here, speaking about headship, how many of you have ever seen a body without a head? Now, I don't want to be gruesome here, but if you've ever seen a body without a head, I'm going to tell you something. You've seen a dead body. <laughs> you have seen a dead body. And God did not make the body to have... And God did not make the body to have two heads but to have one head. And God made bodies to have heads, and the head pretty much leads the body. The head does. And you as the head of your wife and family, you are to lead. There's not room for two heads here. There's not room for that, and it won't function properly that way. But there are, there are families out there where the man is not operating as the head. And there are families out there where the wife does not understand her role before God and she is not submitting and walking in submission to the husband. And we have all these issues and all these problems going on. And this whole family is out of alignment and everything below it, that's called the children, are greatly impacted when all this stuff gets out of alignment. And so we want to stay in alignment because there's blessing that flows in alignment. God the Father, God the Son, man is under God, under Christ. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. That's how God has designed it. Now, we're equal before God, but in function, we're different. Don't forget that, okay? In 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 9, I'm going to have to wrap this up for this section. But guys, listen to me. Understand this, that your wives, in walking in obedience to Christ, it's not easy for them to do this. No more than is it easy for you to beat back your flesh and to walk in obedience to Christ, okay? And so with our wives, we don't hold this over them. You don't walk around, you don't write it on the mirror, you don't send her posts, you don't put a bumper sticker, you know, somewhere in the house that says submit woman. You don't do that. What you do is you, you live with her in an understanding way. And not only that, you be a godly man in order that it makes it easier for your wife to walk in submission to her. And that she puts herself under subjection to your authority. But listen, you hold the weight of that. You have accountability in that. And the consequences of that are huge. You have also a responsibility of stewardship with that. See, my wife knows and understands this, and I'm not always worthy of her walking and living in submission to me. But when she does that at all times when I'm not even worthy of it, let me tell you something. It is so convicting because she's demonstrating Christ's likeness to me. And not only that, oftentimes she'll say this because we make decisions together. I do not make decisions, any major decisions at all without my wife's full approval normally and without her input as we discuss this together because we're one flesh and what I do affects her. And when you have a family, what you do affects not only your wife, but it affects your family as well. 
And so we make these decisions together. Now, if there's ever a decision that has to be made that we can't come to an agreement on, and I ultimately have to make the decision, listen, I know that I own it. But my wife doesn't hold that over me. She's still supportive of me, but I own that. I own that. and She understands that. She's like, I understand this is what I must do. And she does that. But doesn't that give you such confidence? And doesn't that move you to be a great leader when you know that your wife is depending on you to lead her in a godly way? It, it puts that in your court. It, it makes you rise up to a standard. It, it, it's like the standard is raised. Like, okay, I'm going to trust that you'll do this and that, that in the end of it, you know, things will be good for me and for you. And so when we understand this reality, okay, it's important. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 9. I've got to wrap this up for today before it gets too long. Let me just read this and then we're going to close. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Do not forget this, sir. All you men out there, you have a head. So anybody out there being Archie Bunker, you might as well get out of your recliner. You might as well throw that, throw that Archie Bunker mentality out. Why? Because you are going to give an account. You're going to answer to your head who is Jesus Christ. In other words, what does that mean? If Jesus is your head, you are required and responsible before God to walk in subjection to Jesus Christ. In other words, you're under him. And what he says, you are to what? Submit to him. Walk in subjection to him. Give him honor. That's how you're to live. And so Christ is the head of every man. And man is the head of the wife. The head of Christ is God. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaved. So we have this incredible order that God has placed for us, that we have God the Father, God the Son, we have man, then we have woman, and then we have our families below this. And this alignment thing is so very, very, very important. So what happens when the body of Christ does not submit to the authority of the headship of Christ? What happens? We're out of alignment and we're walking in disobedience, leading to the consequences of sin. Even though our position in Christ remains, our relationship with God is affected. And this is going to be true for our wives. If we are walking in obedience to Christ, we're walking under the headship of Christ and living in subjection to Christ as men. If our wives are rebellious and they do not walk in submission to you, there are consequences and our wives are sinning against God. But because of that sin, there will be consequences. It doesn't mean you're no longer married. It means that there are consequences that happen. Just like if you don't walk perfectly in submission to Christ, it doesn't mean that Christ says, Aunt, eh, you're out of here. I don't want you anymore. No, it's called sin because we are what? We're rebelling against God and we're not walking in obedience to Christ. And when we don't walk in obedience to Christ every single time, there is a consequence to that. It doesn't mean I'm no longer in Christ, that my position has changed, but it means that guess what? The relationship is affected. And not only that, the consequences of sin have real consequences that we have to live out. Same way in a marriage relationship. And sometimes wives have to be told this. If you are not walking in obedience to the word of God by living in subjection to your husband and you are rebellious against your husband, it doesn't mean you're not married, obviously, but your relationship with your husband will be affected and your relationship with God will be affected. Your position in Christ is still secure, but your relationship to God is affected. Did you not read that in Malachi? It said their prayers aren't being answered. Their sacrifices weren't being accepted. Why was that? Because of the way the men were treating the wives of their covenant. And guys, it says that in the New Testament as well, that if your prayers aren't being answered, might be because you're not living with your wife the way you should be and you're not loving her the way you should be. So there's a reality to this. 
So what happens when a wife will not submit to the authority um, of their husbands unto the Lord? The position as married does not change, but the husband-wife relationship will always be affected, and there are consequences that will play out always every time. Now, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up for this for this podcast. We're going to get into this in more detail this next uh, podcast. So, um, guys, thank you so much. I hope that this is going to help some of you understand this. Um, and, hey, if you want your wife to listen to this podcast, hey, that's wonderful. Um, but but, but be, be careful, guys. You, you don't want to hold this over your wife. Um, you want to live with her in an understanding way. Um, and you want to be patient with your wife and you want to be encouraging to your wife and loving to your wife. Next week, we're going to get into the role of the husband. And, um, you know, we've got some some tall cotton that we've got to chop. So get prepared to hear and learn about that. But be the men of God that you are to be. And it will make your wife's obedience to Christ easier by the way that you love her and lead her. So, hey, guys, until next time, I want to encourage you to stay gritty. um, And uh, we'll see you next time on the Gritty Men podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen today.